coming up on the Shark Fighter Podcast. I'm dancing, I'm dancing, I'm dancing, and out of nowhere, I could not breathe. I, um, my family came rushing to me. Nadia Sovera used to love to dance at weddings. I just, you know, could not breathe. She was a breath, they're trying to calm me down. The whole thing, patch your bag, drink some water, all of that. And for me, I said, wait a minute, I think I need to go see the doctor now. Coming up, she shares the story of how Sark took over her lungs to the point where she's now a candidate for a double lung transplant. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 35 of the Sark Fighter podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I do this podcast because I want to offer fellow Sark fighters a bit of hope. By the way, the official Sark fighter song called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards of Alberta, Canada, is uh, something that we hear in every podcast. And you can hear Mark's story, the story behind the lyrics and his battle with sarcoidosis coming. Uh, that's back in episode 12. And I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark. So are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, wherever you are in the sarcoidosis space. There's a reason that you are here. Don't get a lot of random people just listening to podcasts about sarcoidosis. So uh, welcome to the podcast. This is a place where we all can gather uh, because I've heard from so many people, including today's guest, Nadia, that she felt like she was all alone. She didn't know anybody else who had sarcoidosis. She didn't know that there was anybody else who was feeling the way that she was feeling. She didn't understand what was going on with her body. She didn't know how serious it was. And now, in fact, it's very serious. One of the more severe cases that we've heard about here on the podcast. But uh, that's that's why we are here. And I'm just really pleased when when we connect with somebody uh, for whom it really makes a difference. So, and you know, the other thing is we just want to let you know there's a reason for hope. And I re- uh, almost always release uh, every other Monday. And last Monday, we had a bonus episode. Uh, It was, if you haven't listened to it, you might enjoy it. It was a town hall hosted by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. They asked me to be the moderator on the topic of prednisone. Yeah, Uh, you've heard me call that the devil's tic-tacs before because of the little pills. Uh, 98% of all SARC patients have been on prednisone, and the side effects are just awful. So we had Dr. Elliot Krauser, FSR's Scientific Advisory Board Chair, Jessica Reed, an 18-year neurosarc survivor, and uh, she's also active in the medical medical field as a nurse, and Dr. Sanjay Shukla of Atire Pharma came on, and they're working on a new drug that is showing promise for offering an alternative to prednisone. Uh, and one interesting takeaway from that conversation is that prednisone would have a hard time being approved today by the FDA if it was just coming onto the market because the side effects are too drastic. Now, everybody has instantly become familiar with the whole process of getting a drug approved because we've all been watching the COVID pandemic and we watched... um, 
We watched Pfizer and Moderna working tirelessly to get these vaccines approved so that we could start giving them to people. Uh, and normally, this, that's a process that takes years and years and years. And because the pandemic was so serious, they were able to fast track it. Um, so you're all sort of uh, familiar with the process for getting a drug approved. Well, let's say uh, someone came up with prednisone as an idea and they said, look, it has this great property and it helps cure poison ivy and rashes and all this other stuff. But then when they, they started looking at the side effects, uh, it's, it's really believed by members of our panel that uh, prednisone never would be approved today because the side effects are just too drastic. And they talk about that at length within this uh, special edition. So it was a town hall, and we released it as a podcast, but you'll be listening just to the town hall. And when you first click on it, there's, I'm sorry, but there's about 20 seconds of dead air. So you're, you're going to hear an introduction by Mary McGowan, who was also on there, the CEO of FSR. And, uh, but there's about 20 seconds before she starts speaking. So if you go back and listen to that, just, just be ready for that. And don't think that there's something wrong with your stereo or the way you download it. Okay. Um, one interesting takeaway from that conversation, as I said, was uh, just how drastic this was. And then, and then uh, listening to Dr. Krauser talking about how he tries to um, minimize patients' exposure to prednisone. And Jessica shared some personal stories about, and we showed pictures. Uh, there's also a link in the show notes from that episode uh, because it was also on YouTube. But during the town hall, we had over 160 people watching live when we did it. And she shared pictures of how her face just blew up. I mean, you would not recognize her as the same person who is talking today when she is not taking prednisone. So anyway, there's the town hall bonus episode last Monday. Hope you uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, download the episode and, and listen to the panel. I think you will find it's very engaging conversation. I, I don't think it was dull or dreary in any way, which, you know, when you hear the word town hall, it, you, you can think of uh, your local congressman talking about, you know, what's going on with infrastructure and sewer pipes or whatever in, in, in your region. Uh, this was not like that. Uh, we, we tried very hard to keep it uh, interesting and lively. And, and I think I think you're going to if you're interested in sarcoidosis in any way, you're going to find that to be worth listening to. All right. I've gone on too long about that. If you're new to sarcoidosis, trying to figure out what you have, what's going on with your body, you might want to consider listening to another back episode with Dr. Simon Hart. That's episode two. If you want to know more about me and what's going on with me, my story is episode one. If you want to hear the backstory as to how the foundation for sarcoidosis research came into being, which is a wonderful, wonderful story. 20 years ago, you can listen to episode 11 with the founders, Andrea and Redding Wilson. And, uh, and then before we get into today's conversation, I do want to couple, cover just a couple of other things. Uh, I've been telling you about this diet that I'm on. It's the elimination diet. It's something that is born out of the field of medicine known as functional medicine, where doctors sort of look at the whole person. They don't really use, you go in, you say, well, there's something wrong with my back. And so a back doctor looks at your back. A functional medicine doctor looks at your whole body and says, hmm, what's causing this? Is it, it could be something with your liver that's causing the problem with your back. It could be your diet. It could be that you've got one leg shorter than the other. They look at the whole body. 
And and one of the things that they look at is is your diet. And so I've been on something called the Elimination Diet, and I've been working with a nutritionist, um, Lindsay Norenberg, whose husband Ryan was on the the podcast initially because he's a Sark fighter, a Sark warrior, and um, and they started looking at the inflammation in his body, and he started eating cleaner and better. To, uh, to find those foods that might be causing inflammation for him. And, and he's really had a remarkable turnaround. Now, I'll tell you that he's also doing it by taking CBD, uh, the derivative extract from uh, marijuana or from hemp, as it were sometimes. Um, and he has, he has found uh, great success with these oils. So that's also worked for him and a lot of other people have as well, but he's, he's the only one that I've actually interviewed. So you can go back and listen to those back episodes as well. But Lindsay is now coaching me. She was on uh, two episodes ago, and I'm basically on a diet with no sugar, no gluten, no dairy, and then I've been adding things back in. And I'm doing two things. I'm managing the inflammation, and then I'm managing my microbiome which is a fancy word for all the bacteria in your gut. And that, we're learning, determines a lot of whether you have a happy day or a sad day and a lot of other things going on in your body. And um, so when you eat the standard American diet, it often promotes the growth of bacteria you don't want and they crowd out the bacteria that you do want. Um, and that's, uh, Lindsay talks about that. But I've been trying to do that. Um, life is getting complicated. Uh, for me, uh, we, I'm training for an endurance bike ride. In fact, uh, less than a week from now, I'm going to attempt to ride 100 miles in one day. That was something I used to do about once a year before sarcoidosis invaded my life. And I've not been able to get back to that, but uh, I'm going to give it a try. But when you are training and riding and burning that many calories, it's really hard to do that on an elimination diet. So uh, that's one of the things that's happened. And then uh, we've had, I've got my fifth grandchild was just born and the whole family was gathering and we were eating, you know, just somebody ordered pizza and that's what was available or lasagna. And so... You know, we're, we're seeing the new baby and everybody's eating lasagna. Well, guess what? Lasagna's not on the elimination diet, but I ate it. And then another son uh, has announced that he's having a baby girl, and they had a party to announce that. It was beautiful. We tied pink balloons on the collar of my boxer, Dougal, and he came running out of the garage, and that's how we all found out that it was a girl. That was beautiful, but there was cake there that day, and it was made by uh, a friend who is a professional baker, and I was not going to pass on the cake. Uh, Of course, it's loaded with sugar and uh, gluten because I'm sure it had flour in it, but you know what? I ate the cake. But other than that, I've, I've really been trying to, uh, I've been trying to do my best, and and I would say that 90 to 95 percent of the time, uh, I'm staying on that diet. Now, I will tell you one more thing that's happened to me, and this is an update from another previous podcast. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going on quite a lot today, but um, in episode 33. I revealed to you that I had been scheduled to have a tumor removed from my bladder. Uh, I had had some blood in my urine, so we did a CAT scan and then a cystoscopy and discovered that there was, in fact, a growth in my bladder. And as you recall, I riffed a little bit because 
the doctor who discovered this thing was not aware of sarcoidosis. And I said, look, I don't know if this changes in any way what happens when you go in to remove this, but you might get in there and it might not be a tumor. It might be granuloma. It might be a non-caseating granuloma. And I was concerned because when I was first diagnosed, it was because they thought there was a tumor, which was showing up on an MRI, um, on my spinal cord. And the doctor went in supposedly to remove it or biopsy it, and it turned out to be a granuloma. And he was a little aggressive, and it, it hasn't turned out well for me. I've now got um, a bit of um, a bit of an issue with uh, uh, all the things happening in my spine and, and uh, blocked signal from my brain to my lower extremity. So I wanted this doctor to say, you know, just to know. And but I, you know, I was kind of upset that that he did not think that uh, this could be sarcoid. He just wasn't aware of it, which is what so many of you have said when you've come on the podcast. So uh, at any rate, I had that conversation with this doctor. I talked about it back there in in that episode 33. Um, since then, I have had the surgery, and they had discovered that it was, in fact, a tumor. It was not sarcoidosis, and that actually is is good news. So now I'll uh, they think they got it all, and um, I'll have to have some regular checkups with the dreaded cystoscopy. But uh, it's, it, in my mind, even though technically this is cancer, um, I was relieved because it wasn't SARC, because the last thing I wanted to do was, was find out that it was reemerging in my body, and uh, I did not want to have to go through the prednisone and all the other things that we've talked about. Uh, so that, that was a relief for me. Today's guest has had a tough run, however, with sarcoidosis. Uh, and Nadia will be coming on. She contacted me after discovering this podcast. She has a severe case of pulmonary sarc to the point, as I mentioned, where uh, she wears oxygen all day, every day. She's a teacher, two young kids, married, and uh, she may wind up with a double lung transplant if she qualifies. She's in the midst of testing for all of that right now. And she's going to talk about that today. So my interview with Nadia is coming up. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. Hi. I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is Nadia Silvera, a fellow Sark fighter and or Sark warrior, as it were. Nadia, welcome to the to the podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate everything that you're doing for all these Sark warrior, warriors and um, updating us on new things and ways to manage our situation. So um, thanks for having me. Sure. Now you have pulmonary sarks and you've got a, a really severe case in your lungs. Um, and uh, do I understand that you are now a candidate for a lung transplant? Yes. Um, I got the news um, 
in 2000, let's see, 2000, 2020 was the whole blow up with the uh, Corona, right? 2020, October, um, my pulmonary doctor called me in and said that we have somebody from Columbia University and I'm going, okay, why? Fine. I go there and he tells me that my oxygen level is very low and that I'm in need of a, not just one, but a double lung transplant. Wow. Wow. And I, and uh, the listeners can't see it, but you're wearing an oxygen mm-hmm. mask right now. Or the, what, what is the proper term for what, what you're wearing right now? Um, I have on, an, well, I walk around for portable oxygen, oxygen concentrator. So they call it OT dependent. When you see me wearing um, this, if you see anyone wearing something coming from their um, nostrils wrapped around, it's a tube wrapped around their ear. Um, and I'm dependent on it, meaning I have to wear it 24 seven. So even when I'm in the shower, I wear it. Um, with any movement I'm in, I have to put it on because that's just how low my oxygen levels are especially when I'm in movement and transition. All right. So, so when did all of this start for you? I mean, you're a relatively young person. What are you 40 or low 40? Yeah, 43 years old. Yeah. I just turned 43 March 20th. Um, I have to say after my son, you know, they say with women, after you have children, you get all kinds of issues. <laughs> after you have they after you have a baby, you all type of elements start to um, start up on you. So this was, I don't know where this came from. Um, like we said, we don't know what causes it. I had my son in 2008 um, in June. And then I noticed that my eye, one eye was, was hurting me so badly. Just with lights on and my eye closed, it felt like somebody was just cutting a knife through my eyeball. Very bad pain. Um, so I went to the um, eye doctor and he gave me eye drops for it. And then it was only one eye. Put the eye drops in that one eye. After that, I got better. Then it went to my other eye started paining me. Then it started just going back and forth. Well, one eye got better, the other one got worse. And he said, you know what? I want to have a CAT scan done on you. I said, okay. Sent me out for a CAT scan, came back that I had sarcoidosis. And I'm like, what is that? And he says, it's, you know, he gave me explanation, autoimmune disease, and that he advised that I see me see a pulmonary doctor. So I have to say for me, I, I had to send him a letter the other day. I thank God that he knew about sarcoid because if he didn't have some type of inkling about it, it would have been a different um, diagnosis for a while. Um, so him being knowledgeable, he caught on it very quickly. And that was what's causing the, the um, they call it uveitis, I believe, that I had in my eye. Um, this is in 2009. Um, where he, the diagnosis came back. So um, he sent me to the pulmonary doctor, like I said, and I saw them and I'm still, I don't know what this is. Okay. I have it at that point. I remember being on 40 milligrams. Um, of prednisone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember doing that PFT test. Like I said, I didn't even look into it too much. I didn't know how serious it was. I just knew I had this and I just had my son. He was just, you know, wasn't even one yet. I had all this weight on me that I wanted to get rid of and which was bothering me about the prednisone. I noticed I started gaining weight. And so I stopped when the eye pain went away, I stopped taking it back then. Um, I felt like I was better. Fine. Because I was, I was overweight in high school. I lost a lot of weight. And then 
Um, of course, I put on weight with the baby. So now I'm ready to take this weight back off. So forget this prednisone. This is stopping my flow. I want to go back to my clothes. So I stopped and everything was quiet. Every, I didn't have any issues. I also did notice back then that I had some painting in my ankle. Again, they say you just had a baby. Those little things come on and go. So don't worry about it. And that did eventually go away. So things was nice and quiet um, with my sarcoid um, for a while. It started back up again about, because I'm a school teacher. That's another issue, not an issue, but I'm a pre-K teacher. So I, you know, three and four-year-olds, I have to be on my toes. We do a lot of movement, a lot of singing. I need my breath and things. I didn't even notice anything then. I wasn't out of breath. I ended up losing some of the weight. And um, I remember one of the signs was that with sarcoid, there will be some weight loss. So now I'm thinking maybe I'm flaring up and I don't know it, but Hey, I'm losing weight. So whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I let it go, but I still was kind of watching what was going on with me. So I was fine. It wasn't until my sister, um, I noticed why well, I love to dance. So I noticed at my sister's wedding in 2000, um, 2012, I'm dancing, I'm dancing, I'm dancing. And out of nowhere, I could not breathe. I, um, my family came rushing to me. I just, you know, could not breathe. Show us a breath. They're trying to calm me down. The whole thing, patch your bag, drink some water, all of that. And for me, I said, wait a minute. I think I need to go see the doctor now. You know, because something's happening. Um, it wasn't the sarcoidosis wasn't on the back burner. It still was on my head. But at that point, after realizing what had happened, I'm thinking this must be the sarcoid bothering me. So I need to go see a doctor. So, so you, that was you- like. You thought, all right, it, it, this has gone from my eyes because that's where you first mm-hmm. had it. And mm-hmm. now you thought, all right, I've stopped taking the prednisone. I'm having trouble dancing at the wedding. And now it might be, you thought it might be in your lungs. I mean, it, it was kind of, was it? No, I knew that? it had to be something lung related. Like, you know, even with the eye situation, I just thought that that was clear. I don't know. You know, again, I, I remember them saying that it can affect your organs. So I, I thought that it just affected my eye. We got that cleared. But now because he sent me to the pulmonary doctor, because he saw it in my lungs. He saw the granulomas. I always have trouble right, saying that. Right. Um, he saw that in my chest. So I knew it was lung related at that point. And I was supposed, I was seeing an eye doctor and nothing showed up after that. I've never had eye issues up until now since then. Okay. Seems like everything grew up more so in my lungs. Okay. So, so you, uh, so after the wedding, you started looking for something in something additional in your lungs. And I'm assuming they said, oh yeah, it's bad because we, we know that you got to where you are today and it's bad. So what was, what was the path from your eyes to your lungs and, uh, and your situation as it evolved? Um, the, 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 I want to say, because it was in my lungs, I, I, you know, finding a doctor that is, that's sarcoid, start, they know anything about sarcoid was another issue in New Jersey as well. Um, I found someone who was pretty much not that far, but kind of far from me, 30 minutes, 40, 30, 40 minutes. And anyway, um, you know, he said, I gave him all my symptoms and he said that, um, I want to do a, a biopsy to get a sample of it to be, be sure that it is sarcoidosis. So now I'm upset in a way. Like, what do you mean? I have the signs and now you want to, you know, put me on a same day surgery thing. Okay, fine. 
we did that um, in like 2013, 14. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't grab a sample. He said, we didn't get a sample. We, we didn't come back with anything from the, I guess, from the gone, you know, this. Right. He didn't um, get enough to, to really classify that it was charcoal that I had. Um, and he would like to go back again. I said, no, I have all these symptoms. You are, you are uh, a star court educated. I believe that this is what I have because this is stemmed back all the way back in 2009. Okay. So let's go ahead and treat this. And so again, 40 milligrams of was given to me. Um, I was on it so much that I can have pictures now and I see where the whole moon face, my face was getting round and I did put also, but now my face is getting round and I got upset. And what do you think I did? I stopped. Stop taking it. I stopped. I stopped. I said, I feel fine. I stopped. I, and then I learned that, you know, he's like, you're not supposed to stop it right away. You got to take your time with it. And I, I didn't even pay that any mind. I, I guess that was just being me being ignorant about it. I just did not like how it made me feel too as well. But my focus was mostly on the weight gain. I never really looked into what was the other side effects from it. But I do remember the moon face and him treating me with, with prednisone. Um, during my years of teaching, during my years of teaching, chronic cough, chronic cough. I mean, I coughed all the time, all the time. Um, my children knew when I was coming into the classroom. Um, it became a lot within the past two years. So we're talking 2014, like I said, the surgery, in between those times, that time frame shortness of breath. I was going upstairs. I noticed I couldn't go upstairs taking, um, without running out of breath. Um, you know, at some point I did stop and I went back. My mom was like, look, you're back to having the shortness of breath, go back and see the doctor again. So I went back to see him went back on prednisone. I took it for a little while and then I stopped again. Oh. <laughs> I stopped again. I was really bad. I don't like taking medicines too tough, but I just, I stopped again. Um, no one has told you how serious this is, right? No, or or you're just turning a blind eye to it because you don't want to accept it. One or the other. Um, I didn't know how serious it was. I really, I never thought that this would be where I am right now with Sarkoy. Even with your podcast, I when I saw Sark Fighter, I thought that I was. We were talking about something pulmonary. I knew it affect the organs, but I thought that that's just like, it would just bounce around through my body. So during between the past two, three years, I felt like, okay, it's in my lungs. I hope it doesn't go someplace else. Oh, I'm coughing a lot. Did it go into my, my throat? Is my esophagus affected? It wasn't until I listened to your podcast that I learned that, wait a minute, sarcoid, the granules can grow in, um, there's different ca- parts of, different types of sarcoid. You have the pulmonary one, you have the ocular one, you have the cardiac one. I'm like, what? So I'm learning that there are people that have sarcoid, but it's in different, it's in their organs and there's a name for it. And that's where it's growing. That's where it's growing. So when I found out that the doctor told me that I had to be on a trans, um, I was recommended for a transplant. You know, I got very emotional. Um, and that's when I started taking it seriously. That's when I started doing more research, start trying to figure this out. I know I've been going back and forth with medicine. He, I was even prescribed methotrexate, you know, 
He says, do you drink a lot? Which I do enjoy a cocktail or two. Um, you know, I knew it was the holidays was coming. I said, nope, not taking methotrexate now. I'm going to enjoy my coquito and my rum punch and all the other stuff for the holiday. I'll stick with the prednisone, which I was still on and off. <coughs> I was still on and off with. Um, but I, I just want, I, where I am now with this, I've always wondered if I could have avoided it. If I had just paid attention to how serious Sarko was and how serious it would affect me. Um, even there were times where he says, you know, you need to go on oxygen because your oxygen is low. I'm a school teacher. I cannot pull around an oxygen tank with my three and four year olds in a classroom. We go on class trips. We do outdoor activities. That's not going to work for me. So he's like, well, Nadia, you know, it's low still. Okay. I know. I just, when I'm low, I just go to stop, take a couple of breaths and I can keep moving forward. That's what's been my routine. Just don't move too fast. Just move slow. Um, I said, fine. I will do it at home in the morning and at night when I'm when I'm home. Actually, I'll sleep with it because he said I need to do it when I'm sleeping. I again, I started taking a little more seriously then when I noticed that I need to have this in the house. Um, but I went to work all day. I just didn't take it easy. Um, but what was my trademark? What was the biggest thing? Was my chronic cough. If I hmm. did too much, I started coughing. If I talked too much, I started coughing. Um, everyone knew. My family just coughing, coughing, coughing. Um, it became so much where when the corona situation started to brew up a little bit, my school nurse was concerned. And she says, you know, it's flu season. And, um, you know, I know parents are starting to get concerned that you cough a lot. Corona, was, this was like in January. We're talking of this uh, 2020 or mm-hmm. 2019. When this 2020, goes, 2020 is when, is when okay. the, the whole thing emerged. Yep. 2020. I was to get a, a, ner- a, a, a doctor's note from my doctor saying that I have sarcoid to put on my file. And it comes on what's part of it is the chronic cough. Um, just so I can be in the school building and no one look at me weird. Most of the staff mm-hmm. members knew that that was Miss Silvera. So she coughs. Take it easy. That's it. But of course, as a parent, me as a parent, if I saw my child's teacher coughing so much, I would be wondering what's going on. You know, and I that worried me, too, because I need my parents to be comfortable with their child, me teaching their child all day. Um, so getting that. And at that time, I was on prednisone. Um, I did go back after the holidays. So I went back on methotrexate <laughs> um, for a little while. And then um, he took me off of that. Tried the azathropine as for a little bit. Yep. Okay, azathropine. I, I tried that. that for a little bit. You take that? I do. Oh, well, I, again, I, I stopped taking it for a while as well. Um, I have to say with what the coronavirus helped me because at that time when schools was closed and we had to be from home, work from home, I was able to be on my oxygen all day. I had more access to it versus being in the classroom. Um, even as I sit and talk to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember going on a pumpkin farm trip and being so out of breath. And I remember doing this and being so out of breath. I would have to have my kids sometimes, it was a learning experience for them, but sometimes I would have them help me in the classroom. Independent and responsibility teaching them, but they all knew Ms. Silvera coughed. 
And, and that was just part of her. And they got used to it. I didn't like it. But um, it was this past year, even before, I think, okay, 2019, when the school year started, I kept wondering how much longer can I do this? Because I'm out of breath too much. Just, just getting my kids online to go to the next move was a lot. So those are the things that how this has affected my lifestyle. I don't even think you asked that question. I just started rambling because there's just so much. As I talk, there's just so much. It's like an eye opener. Like, wow, I remember doing this. I remember doing that. All right. So, yeah. So, so, so now you're home, you're, you're wearing oxygen. How did, how, how bad does it have to be before the doctor says you need a lung transplant? Okay. So I've learned there's a process. You can be, the doctor can tell you that you need a lung transplant, but now you have to qualify. So right now I'm in my lung transplant evaluation where I have to go for lab work, CAT scans, um, sniff tests, echocardiogram, catheterization. You know, there's three categories of being a lung transplant um, um, participant. You either qualify for it um, and you're, you can be placed on the list or and your situation's not that bad. Um, you can hold off a little longer in getting in getting being placed on the list. Your your levels and everything seems to be fine. Or, miss, you have underlying issues. You have kidney failure. You have this and you have that. So we can we cannot perform this transplant on you because of your underlying issues. So that's where the process is. And once they they they, um, I go through all of these testings. Um, I have a team, there's a transplant team that look at all of my medical work and they determine if I am qualified to be on the list or not. So like I said, I'm in the mix. That's CAT scans through Friday and next week. And then hopefully by um, early June, I'll find out if I'm going to be placed on the list or not. Interesting. Interesting. And then you, and then you just wait until the phone rings and they call and say, uh, we've got a donor. Yes. I mean, John, just knowing, I don't even know what to say. Um, yes, my life will change. You know, he says there's a lot of things I cannot do after the transplant. Even prior to the transplant, they're saying that once we say you're on the list, you need to be within the area because once you get that phone call, you need to be here within 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? I can't, you know, take a, not that I'm with all Corona, I kind of be worried where I go, but I just can't leave and take a drive real quick because you, I might get that phone call. So now to me, my life has stopped, has been on, put on pause for a little bit. Well, what, about, what about after you get the transplant? Your life's definitely going to be on pause for, I don't, I don't know how long it takes to recover from a lung transplant. Have she, they, have they, they told you? They said, um, you know, this, this process, I meet with a lot of the doctors and they keep saying the same thing. And it's, it's going to take about a year. You, I cannot travel for a year. Um, I have to go to the doctor because, you know, once you have a lung transplant, there's chances of rejection. So I need to go to the, I need to see the doctor. Like, um, I think it's, every other day for the first couple of weeks, then it turns to one day a week and maybe two days a week. Um, you know, it'll decrease in visiting, but still I'm on watch for 
the first year after the transplant. Then there's, I have to take 20 plus medications every day of my life after this. That is another thing. I can barely take vitamins or this prednisone right now. And now you're saying I got to take 20 plus medications every day for the rest of my life. Um, that's a change for me. I can't have any plants in the house um, because of mold that will trigger anything. Um, the biggest ball drop for me was when he says that being a teacher is high risk and I might have to consider letting that go. And that is so hard to even try to do. I've been doing it for 17 years, working with little ones. Um, I have, to lot, I have a lot to think about this upcoming school year. Right now I'm on FMLA because of they had the children go back into the school. And I'm just not ready to do that here in New Jersey. <coughs> and plus this whole evaluation process starts to happen where I'm gonna be, you know, I have a lot of doctor visits. So I couldn't be able to do that. I have to say that one thing with this, because of the coronavirus, we didn't have a large enrollment with children. So unfortunately, in the beginning of the school year, my class, I had a class, and then they closed my classroom because parents wasn't sending their little children to school. Um, and you don't have to, pre-K is free. Pre-K is free in New Jersey. So it's not mandatory. Um, they closed the classroom. And so now I had to co-teach another group, another teacher, another pre-K class. So I'm not leaving any kids behind. And that's a blessing because it worked for me. When I start my school year with my kids, I want to end the school year with my kids. So knowing that I have the time, I kind of have the flexibility to do this. Um, I'm not, my kids are safe for the new, I'm happy with where they are with their new teacher. I join them every now and then. Um, but the transition mentally, there's a lot, I have to see a, a psychiatrist, there's a financial counselor, there's a social worker um, I have to visit with um, during this evaluation process. And even after, you know, they said I have to have a good, team with me after the transplant because with taking the meds I have to jot down um my blood pressure um I have to keep a record of everything and turn it in I think once a week I'll bring it with me to right. see my levels right have they been, well have they, I'm just curious why when do they decide that a transplant is better than prednisone or methotrexate, or any of the other drugs that are out there, azathioprine. Um, wh why? Why are they thinking transplant? They they don't think they can reverse the damage, or or what? No, yeah. He, I, what they call it? Scar tissues. Scar tissues. I don't tissue, know if it's yeah. the same thing. Okay, so that's what is that's what the granulomas. I guess they um, the, I have a lot of scar tissues on my lungs. So when I for lungs for the pulmonary, there's a P. I think it's called PFT. We have to blow into this tube. Right. And you know, how much oxygen we breathe in out. And my test results were very low. So they're saying that they see only 20 to 30% left in, of um, oxygen in my lungs. Um, mm. The prednisone, all of that. Again, I wonder if I'd stick to it. Could I have avoided this situation I'm in now or not? Right now, the doctor, he, like he begged me. He said, you need to come see me, even if I have to have you come in and not pay your copay, but it's imperative that I see you um, frequently because I was on and off with him. And this was just the same year when he said, let me see, in October of 19 was when he, uh, 20. Within the whole of uh, 2020, 
2019, he, he was pushing me to come in. And that's when I even took it more seriously. Um, I guess in between that time, just things got worse. Um, maybe because of my movement. Again, I work with kids, so I, I am constantly on the go. I have my young one in the house. I am on the go. I, I was a bubbly person. I do sideline decorating. I like decorating from time to time for baby showers and stuff for family. All of that takes a lot. And I noticed I couldn't do it as much. Um, 20, 20, 30% of my oxygen was what the doctor told me, the surgeon. Yep. Yep. And so, it's not so- reversible. So, so right now, if you were to go up the stairs without the oxygen tank on, what would happen? Oh, I'd be breathing. Really, I'd be trying to catch my breath. And what's strange enough is I didn't know, and this is all about educating yourself. If it wasn't, the, the coronavirus brought light to me about the oximeter. This is what lets you know how much oxygen you have. You know, we go to the doctor and they always put that thing on your finger. Not, you know, they do it, whatever. I don't know what it's about, but fine. I pass all the time. Um, I didn't know anything about that, that it had to be at a certain levels. So it's supposed to be between um, 95, between 95 and 100. The oximeter, I noticed, okay, prior to this, going up and down the stairs, I would be like gasping. I have like a light, I started feeling lightheaded and I could not breathe before I started being on my oxygen. Now I go up the stairs with it. It's such a relief. It does help. I don't have that struggle in trying to catch my breath. Now, with the with the virus, you know, they were talking about lungs, how it affects and using the oximeter. I realized that going up the stairs without oxygen, I will go to the like 60, 70 sometime. And when I told like the nurse, she was like, oh my gosh, you are so low. I can't believe you're standing here right now. And she put me on it and I, it, you know, my oxygen levels come back up, but I'm thinking, girl, I've been so, I've been feeling like this for a while now and did not know that was my oxygen level being low this whole time. So I honestly feel that I, I've kind of contributed to uh, my ox, to my lungs being so scarred up because before the oxygen, before me using the oxygen um, every day, I was having moments where I could not breathe. In the classroom, I would sit down, and as I'm talking, I would tell the children, hold on a second, and I'm trying to catch my breath, not knowing that my levels were low at that time, and I should have been on oxygen, I want to say, like a year ago. Wow. Better late than never. I know it now, and if I go up the stairs, yes, it's super low, and I would, um, every now and then, this is annoying, dragging this around through the whole house. My kids trip over it. It's a long green tube, um, ladies and gentlemen, and... Um, it, it trail, it follows me wherever I go. And sometimes I go up the stairs, it pops apart. I have to yell, please put it back together just so I can breathe when I make it up the stairs. Mm. So all of that has happened. Um, and because the transplant is the, like, again, I don't have much oxygen left in my lungs to carry me along. Um, so how, is, been, how has sarcoidosis impacted your family life? You, you have what, two children? Yes, a 12-year-old and a four-year-old just turned four. And um, and you're married. And I'm married, recently married. Okay. <laughs> I've been with him. So that, that's what's been keeping me on a happy boat. Uh, we've been together for about um, eight years now. And that has gotten me feeling good about myself, feeling know that I have that support with what's going on in my world. He, you know, his life changes too. You know, if I go through this transplant, 
he is that t- part of that support team, giving me my meds every day, making sure I take it at seven o'clock in the morning, then seven o'clock at night again. I have my mom who's in Florida who plans on, she just retired. So this was like good timing for her to be able to come up and stay with me for a few months. If I go along with this transplant, it's still in limbo. I'm trying to outweigh it. Sometimes I think, well, what if I just wear the oxygen for the rest of my life? Everything you do has a side effect. So even with this, um, I get lightheaded. You have what they call it uh, oxygen um, overdose. Some, Over- yeah, something like that. Yeah. Where you're just getting too much of it, I guess. Too much um, oxygen. Okay. Too much oxygen. Sometimes when I'm sitting still and I know and I'll have the oxygen with her, if I'm good, I'll take it off. And I might have a good five minutes of it not being on before my levels start to get low. Sometimes right. um, my um, inside my nose gets a little bit sore. So I have to use a, a sinus. You ever, for anybody with lungs issue, post-nasal drip, that's another side effect huh. that I've noticed with this, post-nasal drip. I, the doctor told me to try that. I was like, I'm not doing that. That sounds disgusting. I tried it and it cleans out because the post-nasal drip is now causing the chronic cough. So if I have a runny nose, it's not just, again, I'm blaming the sarcoid. The sarcoid doing it. Oh my gosh, sarcoid has affected my nose area now. Now I'm having this issue. Um, but yeah, this post-nasal drip is what's happening. And so I clear up my science with that. It's not easy. And how it affected my life? Like I said, my children trip over it. Um, my son was not comfortable with this. He says, mom, you look like you need to be in a hospital. And I had to explain to him the details of what was going on with me so that he could understand. And even when I was doing teaching with the children remotely, you know, I have, at first with the mask saved me from the kids having to see it. But I had to take it off and and be able to teach my kids remotely. And I explained to them, you know, the same way some people wear glasses to help them see better. I'm wearing this to help me to breathe better. My lungs isn't as strong as yours is. And so this is helping me. Now, the difference is you don't see a lot of people wearing this oxygen tube, just like you see lots of people wearing glasses to help them see better or someone wearing a cane. When I explained to the children that I work with, as well as to my kids at home, it was like, oh, okay. And we just moved on. And you just move on. Right. It's different with my kids home because they are living it. Like I said, they're tripping over it. Um, They're not complaining. My oldest son just feels as though I look sick and I need to be laying in a hospital bed. My four-year-old. Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. Do you have, do you have the energy to take care of that four-year-old? I mean, that's a lot of work. Um, Man, when he was three, because I've been doing this one, I had to start this when he's like two and a half. It is a lot of work. Um, it, it is. You know, before I even put this on, giving him a bath, I had to have my husband. He didn't really realize. Like, taking him out the tub, I'm, ca- I'm like grabbing my chest for air. And I said, I cannot breathe. I need your help with this. So he started to help around a lot more. I'm very independent. Sometimes I don't even ask for help. I just do it for myself, do it by myself. Um, so with me trying to catch my breath, I just move slow right now. I, I was a go, 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 moving fast, getting things done. Now it takes me a long time. I have to go nice and easy and slow taking care of him. You know, I want to run with him. I want to, you know, he's young. So they want to go outside and play and hop and skip. I want to show you how to do this. And it's hard to do because I can't meet that needs for him. My oldest son is a great help. He helps. 
he jumps in and shows in certain things he has to do. He'll grab the laundry bag from that upstairs and bring it down for me to take in the basement. Um, now it's just getting used to this routine. I have to grab my portable oxygen bag before we go out. Um, everything's just in slow motion. And even with his, with my four-year-old, they're not that fast anyway. You know, I'm the one trying to, let's go, hurry up, get out the car, we gotta do this, get that. Nope, I just sit there and pack my patience in and just wait. He's taking a sweet time coming off the car. Oh, I forgot my car. I forgot my toy. It, it kind of it, it balances itself out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, you said that you watched the sarcoidosis town hall that we did on prednisone. <laughs> and you found it helpful because you started understanding what, what other people are, what you have in common with other people. Mm-hmm. And then you showed, you showed it. Why did you show it to your husband? Um, I, so that he would understand what I was going through. I felt like if I, when I say it to him, it wasn't taken as seriously. You know, oh, you're, you're tripping or okay. But to hear other people going through it, it was, I felt like the young lady spoke for me and I couldn't say it. I can say it and it might get brushed off. But to hear someone else doing going through the exact same thing that I was going through, he had to hear it. And even right now, I feel like you know, my fa- I have to gather my family members and let them understand um, the side effects and apologize because I heard you said you had to apologize to a couple of your family members um, before for the things that you were saying. And it's like to hear her, like I said. It was a refresher. It, con- it, it really put me at ease that, that, that I wasn't alone. And that's what we keep constantly hearing, that you're alone, you're alone, you're alone. It definitely put me at ease. And, and to show that it's not just me. And look, he's going through the same thing. It's not just me being crazy. And what you see right. is not something that's a personality of me. It's, 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 it's from something else. Yeah, so it's the, the, the effects it. of the prednisone that just you lose that filter. And, and you, you're re- referring to Jessica Reed, who was the patient panelist um, uh, for the town hall, because we had a patient and then we had a researcher and then we had a doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was asking questions. So um, and Jessica, boy, we showed the, we showed the pictures and, and there's a link in the show notes with this podcast. If, if people want to check out that bonus episode, which was the FSR town hall. Um, but Jessica, we showed some of the pictures and, and you can see that on the um, YouTube channel from the foundation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where, well, you talk about the moon face, she, mm. you wouldn't even she, recognize her, her as the same person, not. right? She wasn't the same person. No, I didn't get that bad, but boy, I've read about moon face and she, had I been on it as much as she was that long, it had been the same thing. I definitely know, but I did get that round. I saw it coming. And like I said, I said, I'm not doing that and stop. So you stopped taking prednisone a few times, which mm-hmm. A, you weren't supposed to do because you needed to continue the therapy. And B, you don't ever want to abruptly stop taking prednisone. You have to be slowly weaned <laughs> off of it. Mm-hmm. Looking back, do you wish you had stayed on it? Um, because of the side effects, no. Staying on it to see if it would if, if it would have made diff- 
if I would be in a worse situation now, I wonder. I, I do wonder. Maybe I should have stayed on it. But I'm kind of glad that I didn't because of the different side effects that it has caused on on people. And just with, with Jessica, poor thing, like she just went through so much. Um, I would have hated to have to gone through that. And it, it leads to other things because of, and I blame, like, I blame everything on sarcoid, not knowing that their prednisone side effects is what has caused a lot of my elements. You know, I now have GERDs. I love chocolate and ketchup, anything acidic I am there for it. And now because of the prednisone, GERDs is irreversible. That's gastro, uh, a fancy term for acid reflux. I can never remember okay. the name. Okay, all right. For acid reflux, which again, when I indulge in those things, and I thought it was a sarcoid effect in my throat area, I would do more coughing. I noticed that when I did have um, a cup of coffee, I was coughing. And I don't drink coffee like that, but I like a cup of coffee. If I drank soda, I was coughing. If I had anything. So I just personally started taking that away because I got tired of coughing so much. Um, I've even tried the holistic ways to see if that helped. I fast sarcoid for a couple of days. And I still coughed. And mm. that was my biggest thing. I cough a lot and I want the coughing to stop. Um, right. And I don't know if, again, it's the, it's the, I, I haven't spoken to someone who has pulmonary sarcoidosis to know what that is. But just with, Je with Jessica's story, the side effects, I checked them all off. After I got off the, um, the town hall, I looked it up. And I'm like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. Irritability, emotional. Um, um, the acid reflux took out the most because I'm thinking, on it, that's why I have GERDs now because of prednisone. This thing is killing me. Yeah. Of course, the insomnia, the sleep is the issue, other stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I would have, um, again, I, 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 it saddens me that I'm at this point of a lung transplant. Um, I, I have, I'm trying to build up my faith and trust in God. I love the Lord. That is what's keeping me afloat. Um, I have to just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it one day at a time. Um, but the way it, it has affected her, I'm thinking in my head, like, thank God. And she looks awesome now. Yeah, <laughs> she, does. Years, she looks awesome now. I don't know. If she, but see, you mentioned being on the astrotherapine. I did that finally for three months and caught a um, allergic reaction to it. So now I can't even take that anymore. I was itching. I didn't know what it was. I Because like I said, I tried different holistic food. My family's from Jamaica. So I'm getting the different type of herbs, Cersei tea, all types of stuff they tell me to try. And I thought it was something different I was doing. Come to find out, I noticed I coughed even more, itchy throat, closed up a little bit. And... When I helped started bruising and bruising on my skin. I don't know if that showed up for you, but that was a sign. Because I it said one of the side effects was bruising on your, unexplainable bruising on your skin, um, itchiness in the throat area and through your body. And it's, I called the nurse and I said, you know, I've got this bruise on my skin. Could that be a sarcoid or something? Or maybe I'm having a blood clot situation going on. And she goes, no, I never heard anything like that, but no. It wasn't until the itchiness came in and I went back to look up the side effects on the asthma, on medication, as a med medication. Right. I'm like, yo, this is my allergic reaction. I need to get off this now. 
And I stopped. And I called them and told them that I'm stopping. And they told me, yes, please come off of it. So now I know I can't even take that. And the sad thing is that's one of the medications that's on the list. Out of the 20 medications I have to take after the transplant, that's one of the medications on the list. That is- that As is, well as prednisone. Yeah, that's the, the, normally as a theoprene is used, so your body doesn't reject an organ after a transplant. That's, it's, oh. it wasn't developed for sarcoidosis. In fact, there's really no drug that was developed <coughs> for sarcoidosis. Um, that's why the, uh, the ATIRE uh, therapy looks so promising because they're, they're targeting sarcoidosis itself. And in fact, they're targeting pulmonary sarcoidosis. Mm. So if you watch the town hall and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and you you heard us talking about uh, the ATIR, uh, mm-hmm. ATYR 1928. Uh, that drug will be available at some point if it continues to to pass all of its clinical trials. I can't wait. And that will be that'll target pulmonary cases. So, you know that 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 could be something of promise. You know, if for you or for other pulmonary uh-huh. patients down the road. So when are you going to find out if you get the lung transplant? When does all that wrap up? Um, well, um, this Friday's testing, next week, Wednesday's testing, and then the final um, process is meeting with the surgeon um, in person because everything was like on video for the past a month, this whole month. This all started like in April 15th, I think. Um so once I meet the surgeon, and then he's the last step. I think meeting him, and then they present it with the team. So I'm looking at maybe um, June, in the middle of June, I might find out if I am a candidate, if I'm eligible to be on the, um, qualified to be on the list. Um, okay. He says, you know, I was going to go through, but they said, you know what, go through this process. You can always say no um, when the time comes. It's not a big deal. Well, not, I can't say it's not a big deal. I still have the option, the choice of saying no. Um, will that be, how do I feel when that happens? I don't know. Because again, I, it's like, I, I'm frustrated with this, how, what I'm going through now. Um, you know, they did say once I have the lung transplant, I wouldn't have not have the sarcoidosis anymore. Um, right. That was right. like, wow, really great. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to take prednisone anymore. I'm good. Uh-uh. I still have, a, I still have to take these medicines that I don't want to take afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have some side effects for sure. I would, I would think if they're giving you 20 different medications. Um, so, well, listen, uh, the only other thing I wanted to ask you is have you had to go through therapy in any way? Have you gone and talked to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anybody to help walk you through any of this or deal with no. it? No. I, I no, I've just kept it all to myself. Um, again, this whole depression and moodiness, you know, poor Jessica, I understand. And I, sometimes I've thought about seeing a psychiatrist or seeing someone. If I could just talk to someone who has pulmonary sarcoid, it would uh, it would help. I want to know if, if if they're going through the same thing I'm going through. But from listening to your podcast, you don't even have to have the pulmonary. We are all in the same boat. We're all dealing with the same drugs. That's supposed to help us feel better when it's really not. You know, it's caused doing one thing but causing another. Um, but my thing is, how how are you battling with it? 
um, I'm not doing so well with my medicines. I'm on and off. I've, she said five times. I've done that more than five times. And I think that, like you said, stopping it, I might have um, caused more. I just know that this time I'm at 15 milligrams. I feel like my, my brain is telling me you're yourself off. You are winging yourself off of this. That's what I'm telling myself um, because I can't just stop it like you all are saying before. And even the doctor said it. But like I said, I didn't pay that anymore. I think so. I didn't pay that anymore. But I'm taking more accountability what's going on and what I need to do. But I would like to know what are some other alternatives um, and how are they moving forward with it, with the sarcoid on a lung level, on a pulmonary level. Right, <laughs> right. Well, um, Nadia, I really, uh, we wish you all the best and please stay in touch and, and let me oh, know. Will. And I can Thank give uh, listeners, if, if you're comfortable with that, I'll give listeners updates on what you're doing, what you decided yes. to do. And, uh, you know, we really, really wish you all the best with this. And thank, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Same to today. you. Thank you so much. And once again, I'm so grateful that Nadia reached out and that she found this podcast. It's it's gratifying to me when someone says that this podcast is what helped them get to the next thing that they're looking for in their sarcoidosis journey and that it helps them in some way deal with the disease. And uh, Nadia actually mentioned, you heard her say that she found the town hall and she made her husband listen to it so he could understand what she was dealing with and that she does have serious issues and that there are a lot of other people out there who say the same things she does. It's not all in your head. It's not was not all in her head. And when he saw that other people have these same problems and that there's a community of people fighting this, it really helped him understand her, which was a relief to her. So, and, and I'm sure at some level, a relief to him as well. All right, that's all for now. Please send me an email. It's in the show notes. Follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and on Facebook. I appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. It does help me reach more people and grow the show. If you will share this on your social media, if you like it, just grab the link and put it out there on your Instagram. Or, well, you can't do it on Instagram. You can do it on Facebook uh, or any place. Or if you've got another podcast, talk about it. I'd appreciate it. And if you want me to talk about your podcast, if you're in this space, Maybe we could work something out. Uh, but uh, just the more people we reach with this messaging, the the better and more effective it is. And it just gives me more reason to, to just keep doing it. Uh, give the show a nice review on Apple Podcasts, if you will. Uh, if you will. And then thanks again to Nadia for joining me here today. We wish her the very best as she faces down that prospect of, of maybe doing the lung transplant. Until next time, keep fighting. Just feeding that stumble and